This is a sermon that I did this week on the Transfiguration. It was at Tableview Methodist Church and hopefully serves as a really good introduction into your journey to Lent. Uh, I hope that each and every one of you, as you are journeying to Calvary over the next 40 days, are ready and prepared and packing and that you are going to have a life-altering journey that will take you to the cross and then also to the empty tomb. May you be blessed by this message. It's lovely to have you back here listening to something. Love to hear your comments, and it's just a joy to be able to share this with you. It's lovely to be back with you and to be able to share with you on what they call Transfiguration Sunday. So obviously, talking about Transfiguration Sunday, we're going to be looking at the scriptures that link to Transfiguration. And so if we go to the book of Matthew, the gospel according to St. Matthew, we're going to be reading in chapter 17, the story of the Transfiguration. So let us go and start the story. The Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him... Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good to be for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified, But then Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except for Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Thanks be to God for his word, and may he grant us understanding. So as Gus has said, on Wednesday, you will be starting a journey. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the journey of Lent. Now, the wonderful thing about the journey of Lent is that every single journey of Lent is different. And the reason that it is different is because you are different. Whatever happened during this year will give you new context fresh vision on what you have experienced and what you now know and where you have come from. And so Lent becomes very different every single year. And so I want to today be able to prepare you for that journey of Lent. My parents are packing at the moment to go to Ireland. My cousin has just immigrated, and so they're going to go and visit him with his parents. 
And so today is a day where they're going to be packing, and obviously they're going to be looking at the temperatures, minus 18, not a great time for your shorts and pluckies. Okay, so they're going to be able to pack properly. And then they've got to prepare themselves. They've got to make sure that the itinerary is there, that they know when they need to be at certain places, how they're going to get there, who they're going to stay with, how much they need to pay. They need to make sure they have their itinerary. And then they also need to make sure that there are places that they want to visit. Because I know how quickly a holiday goes by. And you need to be very intentional about, you know, if I want to go and see the Blarney Stone, I need to be able to go there. If I want to go and see the, the shores of wherever, I need to make sure that I can get out there. So you need to prepare yourself. You need to make sure that you are, are intentionally going to go and see the highlights of this place. Now, transfiguration really prepares us for the journey of Lent. It tells us that Jesus invites Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain. He invites them to come on a journey with him, and forevermore their lives will be changed. I pray that during this Lent journey, as Jesus invites you up onto a high mountain, that you too will be changed. And these are the ways that we can prepare ourselves. The first thing that I find quite interesting about this reading is that Matthew starts with the words, after six days. Now, it's the only time that it is ever used in the Gospels, after six days. Now, if you know your Bible history, and if you are referencing other parts of the Bible, you will know that everything really takes seven days. Creation was a seven-day process. Um, and so, the completeness is after seven days. But what it says is after six days. So Jesus has just been ministering to people wherever he's gone. He's traveled from one side to the other side to encounter people, to share with him the lessons of the Lord. And so his public ministry has been powerful. But now it's almost like it changes momentum. That the journey is not yet complete. Something is going to change. And so the momentum changes from ministry to Calvary. After this important moment, Jesus turns towards Jerusalem with a steely determination. And so this is a very powerful time where the ministry changes focus to the ultimate sacrifice that we see and we celebrate at Easter. So after six days, Jesus leads the disciples up onto the mountain. Now the interesting thing also is when he says he takes them up to a mountain, there is another time that we remember that people were taken up to a mountain. The words that is used by Matthew are the same words where Abraham led Isaac up the mountain. And what happened, what was Abraham's intention when he was going up the mountain? To sacrifice. Lent is a time of sacrifice. Now, everyone's heard what, what Angus said, he's giving up tennis. Now, that's not much of a sacrifice. 
especially if you don't play it. But as much as absolutely the idea of giving up chocolates and coffee and all kinds of things is noble, it's not a sacrifice. What Lent teaches us is that there are parts of ourselves that are very much attached to this world. Parts of ourselves that cannot move on until we have given it up. And I pray that you will be aware of where God is actually asking you to sacrifice. What you really need to give up in order to to let yourself be free from this world. Give yourself a little less weight to carry on the journey of your life. May God during this Lent time really teach you where the sacrifice is that you need to make when you're up on the mountain. So sacrifice is a very important part of the story of Lent. But I want to talk about three different mountains that we are led up. And they link to three other mountains that we read about in the scriptures. The first mountain that I will always remember is when Moses went up the mountain. Moses went up the mountain and ready for the first time in the history of Israel, God was tangible. Moses goes into the presence of God and there becomes a leader. The leader that will lead his people out of the wilderness and into the promised land. That experience changed Moses forever. He was face to face with the glory, with the holiness, with the power of God. That's the one thing, is when we experience Lent, when we go up onto the high mountain, we will experience God in all of His power, in all of His holiness, in all of His glory. And I pray that you will meet God in that way. The second mountain was when Jesus takes His disciples up onto the mountain. And He gives them one of the greatest blueprints of living today. The Sermon on the Mount, where he speaks about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the persecuted. And then he tells some of the greatest moral lessons that we have ever learned. We go up onto the mountain in order to learn. So we go up the mountain in order to experience God, and then we also go to learn about God. And obviously the last one is we go up the mountain like Abraham and Isaac went up the mountain to sacrifice. And that is going to be the three things that we need to be aware of. We need to be intentional during our journey of Lent to really be engaged in those three things. To experience God, to learn once again about God's plan and His purpose for our lives and how we need to live, and where we need to sacrifice. And transfiguration helps us to understand these. Now, let's talk about the experience that these disciples had when they went up onto the hill. Now, just before this passage, there's this wonderful interaction that Jesus and Peter have. So, there's that wonderful question that that Jesus asks Peter. They were all sort of walking around, and then Jesus turns to Peter, and he says, who do you say I am? There's that wonderful question that God also asks us. Who do you say I am? And so Peter says, oh, the people say you are this, and you are that, and you are this. And then Jesus says, but who do you say I am? 
and Jesus and hears this reply of, you are the Messiah, you are the Savior, you are the one who the prophet spoke about, you are the one who has come to save us. And so Peter, says, so Peter is then given a different name. He turns from Simon to Peter, and Jesus says, you are the rock on which I will build my church. But then it changes very quickly. Jesus says, I need to suffer many things. I need to go and to give up my life. Now, Peter's going, I'm the head of the movement of Jesus. And I'm the head of this powerful movement that Jesus has spoken about. Now you come and you say that you have to give up your life. We're not going to have a movement if the head of the movement isn't around, if the one who inspired the movement is not around. If you are the Messiah, how can you talk about dying? How can you talk about leaving us? And so then Jesus steps in and rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, very quick move from you are the rock on which I will build my church to get behind me, Satan. And he says, you have in mind the things of the world and not the things of God. And so Peter is rocky at this moment. Peter is very uncertain of what on earth Jesus was talking about when he said he must leave. At certain points, Jesus talks about this resurrection thing. Now, for us here, we have never, ever seen anyone resurrected. If I was to say that I will die and I will be resurrected, you guys would think I'm mad. But in Revelations, it says that all of us shall be resurrected. And the only way that that would be certain in our minds is to actually see it. And so Jesus leads the disciples, and the first thing that they see is the resurrection in front of them. They see Elijah, the prophet, the head of the prophets, come down. They see Moses, the one who is the father of Israel, who came to give them the law that is absolutely sacred in the Israeli tradition. And so here they are, they face to face with two resurrected people. And then they see Jesus shining as brightly as the sun, and they see his clothes become as white as light. And then, not only that, but they're taken into a little bit of a conference behind a cloud, and then out of the cloud is the voice of God, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, can anyone remember where you've heard those words before? It was at the baptism. And then God adds, listen to him. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, at this point, the disciples just collapse face, face down. They are absolutely terrified of what they have just seen, the power, the glory, the holiness, the expanse of who God is. And I'm so worried that we so often forget how big our God is, how holy He really is, how big His glory is, that we cannot comprehend the God that we serve. There's a wonderful story that I heard many years ago from someone who was on a plane. She said, you know, when you go on a plane and you've done it 20 times, you know exactly what's going to happen. The captain has his little speech and then suddenly the head stewards, they come and show you the safety things. 
None of us care about the safety things. We know how to put our, our um, seatbelt on. We know what's going to happen. If the plane loses pressure, we know something's going to fall down. You don't have to tell us again. But there was a little boy who was on the flight for the first time. And this little boy was entranced. So he sat and he listened to all the security things. And then suddenly this plane started to go. And this kid just went crazy. He was like, mom, mom, we're moving, we're moving. Oh, mom, we're in the air. We're going up, we're going up. Look, we're going towards the clouds. And he was just on the top of his voice. And when eventually they could take the seatbelts off, this kid was standing in front of the window just looking at this and going, mom, we're flying. Can you believe it? We're flying. And the stewardess went and found this little boy and took him to the front. And he went and met the captain and the the co-pilot. And there he was just entranced by all the buttons and everything that was there. And then he came back to his seat and he said, Mom, look, we're above the clouds. We're going to go to God. I think the rest of the the passengers were very, very afraid. They suddenly checked their seatbelts and if the things were going to come from the sky. But the wonder and awe of this child, because quite frankly, flight is a miracle. It is a modern miracle of technology that we actually don't take, we take so much for granted. But the same thing for our faith. There are certain moments in our lives that when we came to faith, we were so aware and so engaged with the power and the glory of God that he could perform miracles in our lives. That he could make paths that were once very windy into straight paths that where we never had a plan, we suddenly had a plan where we'd never felt any kind of a life and and vibrance, we suddenly felt that through Jesus. And we have that still today. And I pray that during your Lent journey, that you will be so aware of God who is bigger and greater and more holy and more powerful than anything on this earth. We are so fixated with the voices of this earth. We are so fixated about these things that are going down and and all the, the... politics and all the ugliness and all the grittiness of this world that we forget that we serve a God who is alive, a God who is great, a God who is big, and ultimately he saves us. If we buy into the things of this world, no matter, no no wonder we are depressed, but we are not of this world. We serve a living God who will blow your minds once again if you are just aware and intentional. So I pray that God will lead you up that mountain and that once again he will show who is in control. Our God is great. Our God is powerful. Our God is wonderful. May we live in awe of the God that we serve. The second thing that happens when we go up on that mountain is that we learn. Jesus takes his disciples up onto the mountain and teaches them the way of Jesus. But also, when they're on the mountain in transfiguration, there's a very simple thing that God says that we should all take note of. So when Jesus is up there on the mountain and suddenly he moves into that cloud with Moses and Elijah, the voice of God says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the words that we should all be aware of. Listen to him. Listen to him. 
The Christian faith is nothing more than hearing the words of God and hearing the words of Jesus and listening to them. Why do we make it so difficult? It's not about doctrinal and theological debates about all kinds of weird and wonderful things. It's about hearing the voice of God and hearing the words of Jesus and going, listen to it. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, maybe we should become poor in spirit. Maybe we should humble ourselves. Instead of being filled with pride and our ego, why don't we try and humble ourselves before God? When Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, maybe we need to step up in courage and in boldness and actually start to feel a little bit of persecution when we stand up for the truth. Listen to him. When God says, blessed are the righteous, maybe instead of going in the way of the world, we should start to change our rudders and start to head towards the way of God. Live with integrity, live in the truth, live with honesty. When things are a little bit gray, maybe we should stand up and go, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? Listen to him. The way of Lent is to block out those other noises. Now, we have the voices of the world. We have the voices in politics. We have the voices in social media. We have the voices at work. We have the voices in our families. And all of their voices matter to us a lot. But there is only one voice that really means anything. And that is the voice of God. When we read the scriptures and we hear the stories and we go back to the principles and the fundamentals of what God has asked us to do and we listen to them and we live them out, that is the way to live. But the sad thing is that the voices of the world are so much louder. And so the time of Lent is really about being intentional to silence those other voices, to create time in our days where we listen to the voice of God, where we hear the words of God, where we distill the intention of God in our lives. And so may that be one thing that you take into the journey of Lent, is just to be quiet and allow the voice of God to speak and then to listen. If you want to learn, you have to learn to listen first. And so up on the mountain, I think that's what the disciples walked away with. So the first thing that happens when we go up onto that mountain is that we experience the power of God. The second thing is that we learn. We learn how to follow Jesus. I think we so often go, okay, well, you know, one day we will be with Jesus, with God in paradise. We will leave this mortal coil and we will go up into heaven and we will be with, with God. And that is our purpose. If that is our only purpose, we miss out on the beauty of life. They always say, don't focus on the destination, focus on the journey. And the journey is about listening to God and just doing the small things, little by little, listening and learning and following, step by step by step. The destination will come, but it's in the journey that we can start to live out the kingdom of God and we can start to honor God. The last thing that happens is that we have to sacrifice. Now, I love the way that the disciples think, because I think in the absolute same way. Because suddenly Elijah comes down, 
And then Moses comes down. This is the prophet and the law. And Jesus turns into the, the shade of sun, and suddenly his clothes are like light. And at this point, the disciples are going, this can't get any better. And so Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, we have a plan, okay? This is our plan. Listen to us. We're going to build three shelters, and you guys can be with us forever, okay? And we'll just be here. We'll bask in the glory of God, and that is where we're going to be. And Jesus just, oh, I can imagine him shaking his head and going, oh, you've missed the point so badly. In order to go up the mountain, we learn and we experience and we are changed and transformed in order to go back down the mountain. We can't stay there. We need to come down. And when we come down, then we start to get involved in how do we live out our faith? How do we live out what we have just learned? How do we be able to engage the power of God into the hopelessness that is around us? And it is then that we learn how to sacrifice. On Wednesday, there is a, a little symbolism that happens where you take a font from, uh, hopefully from Palm Sunday, from the year before, and you burn that down. Okay, because that was a sign of joy, a sign of welcoming God. And the truth is that everything that has life will one day not have life. Such is the cycle. From dust we came and were made, and to dust we shall return. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And so when you come up to the front, what Gus will probably do is you'll take some of that ash and you'll put a cross on our foreheads. We need to remember that all of us will leave this place. All of us will leave this earth. But it's what we can do in the time that we have that can bring about the change and can establish the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so what we realize is that we come to earth and we have nothing, and when we leave, we have nothing. Why do we have so much, and why do we care so much about what we have when we are here? And that is the act of sacrifice. What do I have that separates me from God's plan and God's mission? What am I holding on to that is not allowing me to be able to live out the way that Jesus has asked me to? What are those things that have grounded me to this world instead of being able to be set free to live for God and His will? And those things are different for all of us. Some of us have unforgiveness that we have been holding for many, many years and have become toxic and cancerous. Maybe this Lent is a time to let it go. Maybe some of us have run after the things of this world and we need more, comf more comfort. We want to have more things in order to have more security for our families. We want to have better cars and better houses. But ultimately, is that helping us to follow God in a, in a more powerful way or a more useful way? Is that really God's intention? For some of us, we might have things that distract us from this world, numb us from this world. Maybe if things get too 
too much for us, we go and we spend time reading books and we spend time watching TV and we go onto the internet and we watch Facebook and maybe that's distracting us from actually living the lives that God has called us to live. All of us have something that is holding us back from truly following Jesus. And when we give that up, it's called sacrifice. And God will ask us to sacrifice whenever we come down the mountain because we realize the power and the glory and the the intensity and the wonder that we experience up on the mountain. And the only way to have that down on earth is to learn how to sacrifice and maybe also learn how to serve. So those are the things that we're going to have to focus on during the time of Lent. Where do you need to sacrifice? And if you have sacrificed, then we can learn how to serve in the communities that we are, in the families that we are, in the, in the schools in which we work, in the, in the factories in which we work, in the offices in which we work. All of those kinds of things will be made clear. I want to end with just a little story. My daughter is now three years old. But about mm, two years ago, we decided, no, we need to make sure that this child can swim. Because we have a a pool at home, and her older brother loves the pool, and so we just don't want to be in a situation where anything ever happens. So we went to a swimming instructor. Um, Subtle is not her way. So her idea of making my daughter swim was to get her feet onto the first step. Okay? So that makes sense, eh? And in our journey with God, we're going to take the first step where we feel comfortable, where we feel a little bit of the water. It's a little bit uncomfortable, but hey, you know, we get used to the sensation of being with God. Then the instructor took my daughter to the next step. So up to the waist. It's a little bit more uncomfortable. It's a little bit more unsettling. You feel like you're not as in control as when you were on the first step. And so she took this next step but now she's a little bit worried and concerned, and the tears are starting to flow a little bit, and dad wants to jump in and start to save her. But the truth is, I know that my child needs to learn how to swim in order for her to enjoy the water, because there is joy in that water for my son. That's his place. That's his shelter. That's the place that he finds joy. And so as she gets halfway in, I can see it. She's unsettled, but I need to hold back. And there are times where God will ask us to go down to the second step. I want you to give up a little bit more. I want you to follow me a little bit more. I want you to hear me a little bit more so that you might move and move from the shallow deeper into my plan, deeper into my purpose, deeper into the mission that I have for you. And then there was a day, and I'll never forget this day, where she just threw my daughter in. And at that point, oh, my heart broke. And she cried, and she shouted, and she gasped, and she gurgled. But this lady was with her. This lady sort of, you know, took her tummy and just pulled her up to the surface, and then she could breathe. And then she was a little bit happier. After three lessons of that, I saw my daughter float on her back like she was a mermaid. She was in love with the water. She embraced the water. She was at one with the water. We are going to take a journey. From the shallow to the deep. There are times where that deep will be so uncomfortable where our feet can't touch the ground, where we're going, where are we, Lord? 
We can't touch the ground. Where is our certainty? Where is our, our comfort? Where is that place where we know that we are in control? And God will say, you are not in control. I am. And the journey of Lent is a journey from the shallow into the deep. And when you start to feel yourself not being able to control the situation, well, then welcome. Now you will start to feel God at his greatest, where he will be in control and where you suddenly will be in the throes of the, of the plan and the purpose. It's when you can't feel the bottom that God can really have his way in your life. And it is there where you should just lie back and start to become one with the water, knowing that you are in the right space and that God will do the rest. So I pray that as you go up the mountain that you will experience God once again, that you will learn the lessons that you have been called to learn and that you will also learn how to sacrifice. When you sacrifice, it will be uncomfortable. There will be times where your feet don't touch the ground, but it is those times that you lie back and you thank God that you have experienced him, you know him, you love him, and you trust him. And it is there that you will start to experience the pool of God. So may all of you be blessed in your walk in Lent. May all of you enjoy the time in the mountain. But remember, we can't stay there. We have to go and establish the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, the transfiguration is something that we have all experienced at some point in our lives where we have been aware of how big you are, the majesty, the holiness, the power, where we were alive and filled with energy and vibrancy, where we pretty much had our jaw on the ground in awe and wonder of this God that we serve. Lord, I pray that you will reignite that by doing amazing things in our lives, but also just teaching us that we are partners with you in bringing about what you have asked us to bring about. So, Lord, may we walk hand in hand, and will you lead us into the, into the deep? May we not settle for a shallow life with you, but may we constantly want more and more of you. Will you ignite the hunger in us so that we will devour the scriptures, and that we will want the silence, and that we will numb the rest of the world so that we might be fully intentionally engaged with you? So, Lord, be with us every step of the way. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. So good to have you with us today. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Uh, we continue as we close our service with uh, the song, Go Light Your World. I'll remind you again, 7 p.m. this Wednesday, we're going to have uh, Ash Wednesday service. And present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty. Dominion and power, both now and for.
רוצה, 